Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we are going to talk about salvation, faith, and works, mm-hmm. and how it all works. Yeah, famously found, oh, that's great. I didn't even yeah. catch that until just now. Thanks. That's that's the book title. <laughs> faith works and how it all. How it all works. Works and works. You can't rhyme the Faith same and word. salvation, how it all works. There you go. Yeah. Faith you, in you needs. heard it here first. How your works works. No, <laughs> you tried too hard. <laughs> we'll workshop. All right. So we're going to talk about uh, how do I, how does a person know they are saved and um, what is the role? What is the, what part do works play? This is a, I think this will get more interesting as we go. So but from, this is, this is my, how you say my jam. This is your jam. This is my jam. What do you mean by that? Um, this is the conversation I've been dying to have. Well, we've talked oh, about it. This is probably right. the third time we've had a conversation adjacent to this. Right. But this is, I'm ready. Okay. I did, I did, did my reading and did my homework. Awesome. I and mean, we're, it's going to be great. Before that, it is joke or story time and you are up this week. Yes. And so, um, I thought about telling a joke because, uh, recently I've in the, I've been in the presence of many jokes. Really? Yes. From who? Well, at the men's barbecue at the church, we had uh, a dad joke contest. Oh, no. And so there were quite a few really bad jokes. Well, maybe give us a story this time. Okay, I will. (laughs) So um, we were at our family trip recently in Estes Park, Colorado. We stayed at a place called the YMCA of the Rockies. We talked about it at the last episode. It was awesome. And they had a putt-putt course at the YMCA ranch (laughs) that was uh, not lit at night. It had some lights around the corner, so we played one night, and it was free, and um, you could go even after they closed, and you play because there were some putters left around and some balls. And uh, so one night we played. We played till probably 10 o'clock, mm-hmm. not 9, 30, 10 o'clock, and uh, in the dark, but there were some lights, and it was a blast. So the last night we're there, we decided, let's go play some late-night putt-putt. And um, I can't remember who all was there, but we had a group of about five or six people, as I recall. It was, yeah, it was you and me, Tim, Brian, and Jaden and Eleanor. So okay. six. Six of us. And um, so we get our putters. It's dark. And on the first hole, all of a sudden, kunk, and all the lights went out. We had just finished the first hole. So we got 17 to go. Yeah. And it's pitch black. <laughs> so we do what any innovative, intelligent group of people would do. Red we pull out our Americans. cell phones. Mm-hmm. And we turned on our flashlight features, and we lit each hole with a group of us lining the hole with our flashlights. We had enough, because some of these got kind of long. We had enough for the person to be uh, putting, and then people to shine the whole course down the line, down yeah. to the hole. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a blast. It was one of the more fun rounds of putt-putt I've ever played, being in such a ominous, dark thing. And uh, I made three holes in one. Count them, Three. I was there. One of them on the most <laughs> difficult hole on the course. I was. You want to say what it was? It was kind of an over under figure eight, mm-hmm. and uh, I did a triple bank shot around the top of the figure eight that I called. You did not. I said I'm going to bank this. I'm going to. Go. You so, did. Okay, you did say. Somebody bank said shot. you're going over the top or the bottom. I said I'm going over the top and I'm going to bank this, and then bang, bang, bang in the hole, perfect speed. Like didn't just trickle to the hole, hit the back of the cup, fell in. It was. It was a thing of beauty. It was pretty amazing. I had three aces and I won the round. 
you don't that's normally, my story. You don't need help normally keeping your confidence up. So I wasn't gonna <laughs> wasn't gonna feed you on this one, but it was impressive. It was a sight to see. It was, and I had lost every round of putt putt up to that point. It's the only round I won, and I didn't just win. You I crushed. I opened a can of kick butt on that can of beans. <laughs> what does that mean? It's just a PG version of whatever else you were gonna. Oh, okay. you're going for. Yeah, uh, it was an awesome trip. It was great to be in the mountains and had and a that great was a time. Good game of good game of putt putt. Yeah. All right. So, John, tee us up here since this is your jam. Uh, frame the conversation for me. So we normally we do we do our own individual homework. Normally, we talk a bit more about topics beforehand than this one mm-hmm. uh, before we start recording. And I think because we both have been on this page for a little while, it wasn't super necessary. But uh, this were mostly uh, found in James. The the phrase that you see, "faith without works is dead" or yes. or is useless. That's from James. And so uh, for me, my long-standing frustration or uh, unanswered question has been, like you said, um, like you teed it up with earlier about um, salvation. You know, faith and works and salvation has been my my regular. Um, not that I'm unraveling and rereading James here. It seems to me more that James, he doesn't ever talk about salvation. He talks about, um, success and failure. He talks about flourishing and being a fool and being, being uh, stupid. Well, but he does in James two twenty four, which was the verse I texted you the other day mm-hmm. as uh, Hey, let's finally go after this. It says you, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So yes. that's an interesting cap, uh, you know, a pillar flag in the ground statement. A person is considered righteous by what they do. Isn't that the Batman line that she tells him um, where she says, uh, she says, um, it's not what's in a man, but what he does that defines him. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that's his line that at the end of the first movie. That's how he tells the, the lady that he's that Bruce Wayne's Batman or something. But yeah, that's the line. Uh, but even that righteous and unrighteous, my bigger, my bigger, um, um, struggle is with salvation with lines like, you know, um, the metaphor, the metaphors of Jesus that, you know, you'll be thrown out into weeping and gnashing of teeth if you don't do these things. Oh, gotcha. But this is still definitely part of that conversation. I'm still very eager to have this one, but that was interesting to me when I was reading James that, um, he doesn't make any definitive statements about your eternal destiny, which, you know, we've had the, we've had the hypothesis that maybe that's the way it should be anyway maybe you shouldn't be obsessed with the what if i go to hell you know that kind of thing right right but be more concerned with honoring god with your life and with your actions and Mm -hmm. and your day-to-day stuff so um james so so what is the question because i i have a clear thing that i'm going after addressing okay but i'm curious because i don't i'm not sure ours align what is the clear thing you're going after to address in this conversation in this conversation is um, basically it, it might as well be the same question as the salvation one. It is what is um, what does it look like to flourish as a Christian? Okay. So um, and James is five chapters is short. You could read along with us if you want. Um, but, but here, if we have a non works based faith, mm-hmm. but then if our faith has to be works, then are we just playing word like is um, it a word game is it semantics yeah, exactly exactly i that's where i want to go because the 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 essence of my question is is it really true that a person can 
have faith in Jesus, belief, let's call it that, yeah. can have <clears throat> belief in Jesus and still live their life however the heck they want to, and they are um, in Christ. Is that is that possible? Yeah. For me, maybe if you were to, because this, talk about the righteous and unrighteous, could a Christian, could a person in Christ, like you said, be unrighteous? Or is that not possible? Right. That right. That's, that to me is kind of the same, is the same weird drama to it. Okay. So let's get started. So um, the you want to kind of just walk through the James deal, or do you want to start somewhere else? No, James is great. I think this is, uh, he talks about a lot of stuff, but it's really focused on that kind of um, duality. Right. right. Uh, and you'll find stuff about it elsewhere, like in uh, Romans you yep. know, 8 and 9. Mm-hmm. Uh, or is it 7 or 8? 8 and 9. Romans 7 and 8. 7 and 8. Thank you. Um, but here, this is kind of like the, the whole point of the, the book. Um, do you want to read 224, the, the passage you were talking about? Yeah, it just says, I, I actually quoted it to you a second ago. Okay, it's short You time. see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone, which is an interesting, that that's a, because we would say that we are saved by faith in Christ, not by works. This is what Ephesians says, where Paul yeah. says, but we're saved by, by grace through faith and not by works, lest any man should boast. So here's the, the, the one side of the conversation is if I'm saved because I'm obedient to God and I do the right thing, I don't drink, I don't chew on go out with girls that do. Right. You know, I live by the rules. Then why did Jesus die for us? Exactly. So Paul makes it clear in Ephesians. Um, it is not by works that we are saved, but it's by grace in Jesus. So salvation is a product of God's grace from first to last, from soup to nuts, from <laughs> from alpha to omega. The whole thing is a work of God's grace. We do not deserve it. We cannot deserve it. We cannot earn it. Therefore, it is a gift. Salvation is a gift. So is this then... If we're talking about um, like a payment, is this you need to do this thing to get this thing? Correct. As opposed to um, if you support this team, where's your jersey? That kind of thing. I think that that is. No, I think of it differently. I love the first part of that. Are we, you know, does the Bible say I have to do this thing to have this thing? Right. No, it does not. I do not have to do a thing to be saved. It is entirely a work of Jesus. But it says, if I have gas in the car, the car will run. Hmm. And so I can't sit here and go, my car won't run. My car won't run. My car won't run. Well, you've got the ghost of Jesus living inside of you. You've got a miracle of grace and, and, and uh, mercy poured into your life. The presence of the Holy spirit in you. Romans eight says that if we do not have the spirit of Christ, we don't belong to him. So Christ is in you. Yeah. How is it possible that Christ could be in you and it make zero difference in your life? Right. That's the ludicrous uh, perspective. <clears throat> what do you think created this problem? What what caused this? What causes this to be an issue that we even need to discuss? Well, I mean, it's hard to say. So, probably, I don't mean historically. Like in in for me in real life, yeah, right. Sure. Why why do I have this question? Yeah. So I grew up um, being taught a um, behaviorless gospel. Okay. Right. So not explicitly that you say these words and you're good, but explicitly, if you claim Jesus, then this could be whatever this means. This could be faith and works kind of thing. Mm-hmm. If you claim Jesus, um, then the buck never stops. There's nothing you there's no moral checkpoints on you necessarily. 
and I've always known it was wrong. I never once thought it was okay to claim Jesus and go do whatever the heck I wanted. Right. right I never right. Uh, consciously thought that that was okay. But if you were to quiz me on it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say those people weren't um, saved quote unquote. Yeah. And I want to avoid that part because that, that, um, that starts us trying to predict the eternal destiny of another human being. Right. And I, and I agree that that's pointless, a full there, but, yeah. but that extends to myself yeah. and it's important to know for yourself if you believe you are saved. So yes. I think the conversation it very much is, is worth having, yeah. is worth having for yourself. So when I started to think about that, if, um, if it's not a blank check to, you know, do whatever you want, then where is that line? At what point does the, does the perfect sacrifice of the blood of God not work anymore? Right, and it, and it does work. That's the thing. The efficacy mm-hmm. of the sacrifice of Jesus, the power of the shed blood of Jesus, the uh, power of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is is extraordinary. So this is where um, I'm living. The, the scriptures, Romans 7 and 8, back to that would say, yeah. we're really talking about in Romans 8, are you living in the flesh or are you living in Christ? So uh, if I'm living based on my own human desires, my own human thinking, um, then then I'm not even participating. This is a really great word in my opinion. I'm just choosing not to participate in the Christ who is in me. Yeah. I'm still participating in me who's in me, and I'm ignoring him. And so the way, the kind of the, the big picture for me is, God created us to enjoy him and enjoy life and live with him forever. We blew that up. So now he is empowering us to be able to go back to doing that. So why would you take the power but not do that? Right. And so if you're not doing that, the question is, have you experienced the power? Yeah. So then part two to this this again this kind of knot that i'm trying to untangle it is is it just semantics you know is it just talking about do you have the power or not or uh, have you experienced that or not and are you saved or not these are different words to phrase the same thing and then um and like we mentioned earlier is your faith in works is that just window dressing on the works-based salvation is works Mm -hmm. cause or correlation is it cause or effect? So uh, I do good works, therefore the effect of that is I'm a Christian, or I'm a Christian and the effect of that is I do good works. Yeah. So this is this is why it's not semantics; it is sequence, and so uh, and it's cause and effect. So, but then, so if you look, if you were to look at a person who has no inward, intellectual, spiritual, emotional relationship with Jesus, they don't believe he's real. They're atheists or, or however they believe. They do not know him. And they are doing what James says to do here. They're watching for the, the widow and orphan. They're doing what the, the law of freedom, as he says. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not putting, they're putting their money where their mouth is. You know, they're taking care of, they're not saying go and be well. They're taking care of people. Uh, would that be in effect proof of the spirit? And we could believe that that was enough. Well, this is interesting. And this is, might be a little sidebar. Um, but in the Old Testament, there are prophecies, Ezekiel, other places, mm-hmm. Isaiah, that in the last times, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and I will give them a conscience. And so nobody will have to say, know the Lord, for they will all know me. And this thing is going to happen. I think, as I keep reading that through the scriptures in my regular reading pattern, it keeps coming up in the Old Testament. 
I think that before the birth of Jesus, human beings did not have the gift of a conscience. Um, to the extent that we do now. Yes. And so now, uh, after Christ, we are born with a knowledge that we did not possess. Hmm. I, this is my theory. I, I think this sure. is what the scripture is teaching. And so now, because we have that, we are uh, compelled, we are uh, impulsed uh, to to know him. And more for my own understanding than for the sake of the conversation, my understanding of that Ezekiel passage was all people implying more than the Hebrews, more than the Jews. Exactly. Yeah. The whole world. Okay. So, but, but in effect, you, you would say on everybody, whoever yes, lived. Absolutely. Who, or now who was ever born since <clears throat> then. Yes. Our okay. conscience bears witness to us that we are wrong. This is where guilt comes from. Gotcha. This is so. Um, and so the sense now of these things are wrong. We have problems to solve. Everything is, there's always something to be upset about or something's always wrong. You is, is in effect because of a spirit filled conscience. Yes, and consequently, going back to the atheist who does good things, Mm -hmm. um, the New Testament says that when someone who does not know the law, Paul says this, I think, in Romans, instinctively does what the law requires, he is a law unto himself. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and he is actually a law abider rather than a person who knows the law but breaks the law. Sure. The bottom line is we all break the law, even that good atheist. We all break the law. So then, then if that that was my understanding was it doesn't really matter. Your good works could never really tip the balance enough. Never. And so that's when you add the works element on there. That's when my original very simple model that I had, very absolutist simple model, mm-hmm. just didn't hold up yeah. with passages like this. And there's so many of these. It's not just James. This is all over, all through the New Testament. It is. And when I was in, I came to faith as a 16-year-old. <clears throat> and I remember through high school, some of college, hearing uh, certain people preach mm-hmm. because they were trying to scare us out of making out with our girlfriends. <laughs> that um, <laughs> if you're in the backseat with your girlfriend and Jesus comes, you ain't going. Mm-hmm. If you're on the freeway and the speed limit's 55 and you're going 90 and Jesus comes, you ain't going. Well, that, And that's the Catholic confession model, right? No, that's, that's the uh, Arminian backsliding model okay the calvinist model is once you're saved you're secure because jesus said i'll never lose the ones the father has entrusted to me Mm -hmm. and so uh, you cannot slip out of my hands no one can take you away and so he protects those who are his and this is where all of this kind of tension lies once i'm in christ he protects me he holds me he forgives me when i fall he picks me back up i don't have to be perfect once i'm in christ he covers my sin. Yeah. And all of this dynamic activity of God in me actually empowers me with both the desire. It is he who works in you to both desire and do his good pleasure. So if you have no desire to do his good pleasure, there might be something missing there. But my high school dilemma was, if that's true, that if I'm in the middle of sin, when Jesus comes back, I don't get to go in the rapture. Then why exactly did Jesus die for me? Yeah. And so if you hear the trumpets, can you just slam on the brakes, go down to 60 and then you're good? Like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So uh, I think there's a difference between the New Testament talks about presumptuous sin. Protect us, Lord, from presumptuous sin. So hmm. I know my wife loves me. Um, if I get lazy and 
do something offensive to her, presuming upon her forgiveness. Totally, I see. Is that the same thing as, oh man, I didn't mean to do that? Right. And so that's a big, to me, is a big is a big point of the conversation. Yeah, and then uh, what is, I guess, to talk about it in the the Calvinist sense of the I'm saved that can never go away. Right. Then how, like, if you were to sin presumptuously ad nauseum for the rest of your life, would then the assumption be, well, he never really had it, right? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the conversations you and I have been having on uh, off air for a while is about hell. Mm -hmm. And that we need to talk about hell better than the way it's always been talked about. And the notion that maybe the hell God is most concerned about is the one we're living in right now. Mm -hmm. And it's less about this eternal hell, although that is a factor. But many of us are living in hell now, and we don't have to. So I, I think the heartbeat of Jesus is I have grace that is lavished upon grace that is lavished upon grace and mercy. You do not have to be afraid that you fell one too many times. Yeah. That I that I gave into my sin one too many times. Now I'm I've crossed this weird marker where after that I can't go back. For sure. At the same time, he calls us to a better thing. So um I think the presumption is the deal. I meet guys who want God to bless their adultery. Whoa, really? Yes. I've got a girlfriend. I'm leaving my wife. Would you pray that God would bless my new relationship? No way. Yeah. And the relationship began adulterously. Wow. And so uh, it's like, where's your brain? Like, what are you thinking God thinks about this? Yeah. And um, this is another big glimpse here is who's in the center of the universe yeah, me or God, and God clearly is. We orbit Him; He does not orbit us. And so, uh, those are the scary things. I, I want to read you a scripture that ought to scare the living crap out of you. Oh, good. <laughs> that's what I want most out of my scripture. Yeah, that's right. So, Hebrews six. This is uh, starting in verse four. If this doesn't scare you, then you've got no conscience at all. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who've tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain falling on it and then produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed receive the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it'll be burned. Now, here's the here's the hope. I think that's a metaphor. I was say, I'm freaking out now. Yeah, that's scary. But he finishes with this. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we're convinced of better things for you, things that have to do with salvation. So what he's basically saying there is you're not saved. Uh, this is the big debate. Um, if a Christian goes out and murders somebody, Mm-hmm. Does he go to heaven or hell? And he dies after murdering people. Okay, so say say um, someone who does a mass shooting was a Christian. Sure. And they go in, they kill a bunch of people, and then they kill themselves. Is that guy going to heaven or hell? And um, a Calvinist would say, well, if they were saved, they're going to heaven. But uh, they clearly weren't. They wouldn't have done that. 
Whereas a an Armenian would say, well, he was saved, but he backslid. You see what I mean? Yeah, I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. So, so uh, we're talking about evidence. Right. And But the point of that Hebrews passage is, I, I believe better things for you. Christ came into your life, man. You've been forgiven. You've been washed by the blood of Jesus. You've been redeemed, not by silver and gold, perishable things, but with the blood of the living God. Yeah. Therefore, that blood has power. You can... You can overcome your sinful desires. You can walk by faith and not by sight. You can um, you can follow Jesus and let him continue to form his character in you. This is why the scripture says we are saved. We are being saved. And if we hold on to the end, we shall be saved. Yeah. This is the process of salvation. And so it's about following Jesus with Jesus, living for Jesus, by the grace of Jesus. And that is the opposite of the, I said the prayer and I'm immediately, exactly. I'm immediately sanctified already, like to, to the perfect form. And if I don't meet that, then I haven't really, you know, or I, I should whip my own back or, you know. Yeah. I had a friend who believed that there's no such thing as sin. Once you say the prayer, oh, you don't sin anymore because this sanctification is done and you might have made a mistake, but it wasn't sin because you don't sin anymore because you've been sanctified. Wow. Which is kind of like that's a shell game, like man, <laughs> right? That's smoke and mirrors right there. That's, yeah, but, snake oil salesman. Yeah, um, so it's this tension between I don't have to be perfect to know that I'm in Christ and I'm and I'm being transformed. At the same time, I cannot abuse His grace and do anything I want without regard to the call of God on my life. Yeah, therefore, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Like he's poured this, he's lavished his grace upon you so that you can live a new life. Right. And walk don't, in newness. Don't life. live a new life in hopes that his grace will come upon you exactly. and you'll be saved. So there's the cause and effect thing. That's a big deal. People think, well, I must not be a Christian because I'm not doing good things. Or they think, I've had lots of people say, well, I'll start going to church when I get my act together. Because yeah. they feel like, well, I got to get my act together before I go to God. That's like that's like if the saying was, bear fruit so that you might abide in the vine, yes. instead of abiding in the vine so that you might bear fruit. Exactly right. That's perfect. I have, so now my lingering question is, um, if you are one of these um, reading, reading the word and not doing the word people, mm-hmm. then the advice would say, well, go do go do the stuff right <laughs> so i want to i want to hear your advice I, we're gonna we're gonna take our halftime we'll come back i'm gonna read one more passage okay and i want to talk about what the next steps would be if you feel convicted with this whole conversation okay sounds good yeah so here we go you got uh you want to do the commercial first you want to do your show, show and, tell. and tell always first that's all, all right, right. I, I, i'm an old man i forget it's okay it's all right. You're almost 60. I'm almost 60, but not quite. I'm <laughs> yeah. six months away. Yeah. I'm, I'm nine months away. Your last nine months away from being 60. Your last good I'm months. barely 59. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's a long ways. Almost a year. Yeah. You could, you know, people could get pregnant and have a baby between now and then. It's actually true. Yeah. Okay. So all right. So I've got you, a show and tell. Yeah. And I want to hear it because I know you're pretty excited about it. So uh, faithful listeners will remember uh, a little while ago now. I talked about the book Lonesome Dove, mm-hmm. the uh, Pulitzer Prize winning Western epic. Pulitzer Prize. Pulitzer, Pulitzer. Pulitzer. Um, Look it up. Tomato, tomato. No, have your, yeah, some say tomato, some say mater. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, and I erroneously said when I first brought it up that it was written in the 60s. I got that confused with True Grit. True Grit was written in the 60s by Charles oh. Portis. Well, some doves were in the 80s, uh, 85, I think, 86. 85. The other day I saw a True Grit 
video clip on Facebook stream. Oh, yeah. Facebook uh, postings of the John Wayne version. Oh, yeah. It was really actually very good. I had seen, I watched that with uh, Lindsay's grandma because she loves John Wayne. I've never seen that whole version. It has Glenn Campbell in it, so I know uh-huh. I've seen parts of it. I don't think I've seen the whole thing. Uh, I thought it was going to be because I had heard that it was worse than the new one, except for from Lindsay's grandma, who, of course, says the new one was awful because it didn't have John Wayne in it. Uh, <laughs> she's amazing. And so it was actually pretty good. John well, Wayne does the good. One, the one scene I saw, his his language was almost exactly like the second one in that particular scene. Because they're, they're both from the book. Yeah. And I, I'm, the thing I love about the second one is the is all the, what would you call that? The uh, dialogue? The yes. Yeah. Well, exactly. It's all from the book. Yeah. I've talked about True Grit before, and I would do it again. But this is about Lonesome Duff. Right. So I talked about it because it's 1,000 pages. I talked about it uh, like 600 pages in. How long does it take a guy to write 1,000 pages? He said it was pretty quick. He said he couldn't think of the name. He had the idea in his head, and he couldn't think of the name. He found he saw a bus drive by in uh, wherever he lived in Texas, Galveston, I think. A bus drive by that said Lonesome Dove Church, and he knew it immediately. No way. Went home and Lonesome wrote Lonesome Dove Church. Wrote the whole thing. Not obviously in one sitting, but who knew? That's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, I finished it, and at the time, I was like, "This is really good, you guys." Now, I mean, it earned its Pulitzer. (laughs) Pulitzer. It earned its awards. That book is amazing, and it also I hadn't got to gotten to some of the more graphic parts of it, so I also need to give a bigger asterisk than I originally gave. It does get pretty seedy. And it's not as bad as, you know, I would say the point of it is not seedy. I still would never say it's gratuitous. Uh, oh, okay, or, so you're not talking about blood and gore. You're talking about sensuality. Uh, both. There's more violence than I thought originally, and there's more um, uh, trauma than I thought originally. It's a much sadder book than I thought it was. But it's not, um, it's not like watching a Saw movie. The point of it is not the violence and the gratuity. The, those serve the point of the story. Isn't it interesting we call that gratuity? I know, huh? Because gratuitous. Yes. So then a tip would be gratuitous of you to give money after your bill is due. Interesting. To give more money. That is interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Uh, the book is amazing. I uh, was very sad afterwards. And I was going to say, it made you really sad. It I mean, did. It's a sad book. Well, because people go- talk about it, the miniseries specifically, as one of the best Westerns of all time. Westerns are not traditionally all that sad. Even True Grit, which could be perceived as sad is so adventurous and there's so much life there well 310 to yuma pretty sad that's pretty sad modern westerns are pretty sad yeah but you think about um well i guess even like shane one of the classics is pretty sad at the end but you think about a john wayne western yeah white hat guy saves the woman saves the town that's true bad guys right off whoever's left and he kills everyone with a black hat yeah exactly <laughs> and and i come to find out that this was actually what you would call a uh what the genre is revisionist western it's westerns that are antithetical to the nostalgic white hat westerns oh. that they are purposefully more grounded um they subvert a lot of those traditional kind of tropes and people aren't all good or all bad exactly yeah exactly uh and traditional really rosy westerns are very um uh, here he comes to save the day <laughs> well and they're they're racist they're they're ethnical oh. against against indians you know there's that kind of right. thing and uh well the manifest destiny thing is exactly in there. yeah exactly so this one still has that because it's true to the time it's true to the characters who lived in that time um but it is really really an amazing book it changed my whole idea of westerns i used to be really into the because when i first started reading the book i was like am i really going to read a thousand pages a thousand of cattle pages, drives yeah. cattle drives i was like if this is about outlaws maybe i was originally get, thought i might get bored 
And now the idea of some uh, high-action, really uh, obtuse, shallow Western bores me to tears. Because this really, really blew my my mind. Yeah, if it's not deep and real and make me sad, I don't want to read it anymore. <laughs> not, doesn't have to be sad. I'll still read True Grit any day of the week. That book's amazing. Um, but I how wanted many, to, how many pages is True Grit? True Grit's compared? short. It's brisk. It's like two fifty. Brisk. Brisk. Not gratuitous. Yeah. Not gratuitous. It is. Uh, what would the opposite of that be? It's not the opposite of that either. So they it's took. A, lean. You said it's how many pages? Uh, what for True Grit? Yeah, I think two fifty or three. So they take two hundred fifty pages and turn it into a three hour movie. Yeah, man. There's a, you can do a lot in two hundred fifty pages. I guess you can. If I had to recommend one, it would be True Grit because it is more accessible. It is shorter. It's happier. It is awesome. True Grit is one of the best novels. Well, I've yeah, read, but, but let's go. You, I'm not letting you get away but, with that because you have not been able to stop talking about Lonesome Dove ever since you read it. And it has it has gripped you. It has spoken to you. It has lingered with you. It has mm-hmm. made you interested. You just downloaded two country and western albums onto your playlist. Uh, that's a lonesome dove outcome. Right it is. There. It exactly is. Guess what the wallpaper is on my desktop computer right now? No, it's a buffalo grazing in Yellowstone National <laughs> Park. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> I'm serious. I changed the whole game. I'm telling you, man. So True Grit did not do that to you. No, but but I'm talking about recommendations. So if I had to say which is the better work of fiction, I it think, would be Lonesome Dove. Yes, but, but if you're I tell our listeners, wouldn't pick it up. Exactly. It's huge. Yeah. I, if I was to... That's like me saying, well, I would recommend the Bible to you, but I don't think you're going to no. actually read it. So I'm going to instead recommend... Would you recommend a beefy, um, annotated studied version of the Bible with footnotes and annexes and things that written by a theologian or an NIV lean um, Bible. That's an unfair question. It's not an unfair question. It's exactly the same. All right. Conversation over. That's that's Here my show go. and tell. We're going to our commercial. Okay. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content, as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives, and who are joining Him on His mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com, where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. All right, welcome back. This is episode 112, and as always, want to thank our uh, patrons and our uh, faithful listeners, and we are so grateful that uh, any of you would give us your time uh, once a week. Absolutely. And You know, the only thing I want to say about uh, Patreon, uh-huh. uh, because there may be somebody who's interested in this, um, the patrons who have a $50 a month pledge get a one hour a month co- coaching session with me. Yeah. And so uh, we have a couple of those. And it's been really a blast. And so if you're looking for some personal coaching, that is one way to get it. That's awesome. And you get to support upstream at the same time. Yeah. So anyway, here we go, John. Back to, back to the back to the discussion. Yeah. So back in James, uh, it was a short book, so I figured I'll just read it real quick before the... Read the whole book of James? Yeah. 
Yeah. Like I said, it's five chapters. I, you know. Oh, I thought you meant read it right now. No, no, excuse it's me. It's so short, I'm going to read it right now. Excuse I me. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. That'll be the rest of the podcast. No. Okay. I meant before the conversation. All right. So you mentioned James 2.24. Yes. But on the way there, I caught another, uh, basically along these same exact lines. And it's uh, James one uh, twenty two, And uh, it contains one of the more uh, famous passages uh, of James. Um, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And it also talks about those who consider themselves religious but do not guard their tongues. Uh, Their religion is useless, which is, he talks a lot about the power of, of your speech. Anyway, so that was big to me. That was, if you're reading your Bible every night and praying and not doing what it says, I mean, that's not, that's nothing. That's, that's useless currency. Now you you might be, you're learning a lot about, you know, the way God works and probably growing closer to God, but that is not, um, that's not faith in itself. We've always kind of worked around churches where we try to educate people all the time. Mm -hmm. We give people information, but we don't expect transformation. Sure. And so discipleship is about knowledge in our, in our history. Mm. And so uh, if we say we're going to disciple someone, we're going to give them a bunch of knowledge, but really what discipleship is, is obedience. And that's what this is saying. If I look at the word and then I walk away and don't do the word, am I a disciple? And the answer is no. What I am is self-deceived. The education itself is not the discipleship, right? The obedience is so. And that was the part that stood out to me was the do, read the word, hear the word, and not do it, and deceive yourself. Mm-hmm. So then, then you're tricked because you think I am righteous. Look how much time I just spend in the word. But right, it, it's deception. So, and and I've always, I just had an aha moment as you were reading that because I've always tripped over. It's like a person who looks in the mirror, walks away, forgets what they looks like. Looked like that. That's not. I, I can't even identify with that. Sure. <laughs> so what? What? What struck me as you read it is that to read the word but not do the word is like looking at the word and saying, I'm a Jesus follower, I'm a Christian, and then walking away and forgetting completely what being a Christian is. Gotcha. So I can't even recognize myself as a Christian. I don't even know what I look like because I don't know what a Christian looks like because I'm out here not even doing the word. I always read it as because the Bible is so – because the the heart of man is so deceitful and the Bible can – the word of God can can – pierce that mm-hmm. dividing marrow and bone that that is you see yourself there your true self the, the actual human condition laid bare right in the mirror and then i walk away and do whatever i want right and i've forgotten who i am that that just showed me who exactly I am. yeah but then if we look intently it goes on to say at the perfect law that gives life now i remember who i am because i look at it intently i do what it says and now who i am is anchored in me mm-hmm. so my doubts go away my fear of hell goes away because I know who I am because I've looked at it. I'm living it. And now it's affirmed in me. And so I think people who doubt, um, this is a great, this is a great, um, insurance against doubt. Sure. Is to man, put your faith at work, do what the scriptures call you to do. No matter what you feel like, no matter what you think the better option is, be obedient to God that will anchor your faith in you. So boom, this is exactly what I want to talk about right now to, to, to lead us out. Okay. How do you just do that? How do you say, um, you know, I'm just now going to obey the word. Mm. Easy peasy. I'm going to, 
I'm going to, you know, stop lying. I'm going to stop getting mad at other drivers. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stop saying, uh, uh, I'm going to stop gossiping. I'm going to stop insulting people to their face or not. You know, these are not, for me, when I think of the decisions, you know, am I going to lie on this tax form? Am I going to lie to my boss? Am I going to uh, slough this chore? Am I going to call in sick when I'm not sick? Uh-huh. Am I going to be? Am I going to cheat on my taxes? A little, a little meaner to my wife than I need to. Am I going am I to, to ta- flirt with somebody at the uh-huh. water cooler at the office and not tell my wife? Those are different to me than um, a guy cuts you off. You just in a react. rage, you right. react. You give him the finger, and you got your evergreen sticker right on the back of the, <laughs> of the, of the window. <laughs> or uh, in a, in a fight when you're at your worst with your with your wife, you're you're at your lowest because you're mad. You feel self entitled, and the um, urge to uh, lay yourself down does not does not come to you. Mm-hmm. These are all we'd agree works of the spirit that changes you in these ways. In these ways that where the snap decision is not is different now because of the actual transformation of your life, right? So how do you get there? How do you get from one from A to B and that where you react one way in the heat of the moment bef- beforehand and you react a different way in the heat of the moment the other way? Yeah, I would say um, you you mentioned it in your description, the spirit. You mm-hmm. mentioned the spirit. Um, the miracle of salvation is the presence of God in us. I am not alone. Jesus promised in John 16. The Holy Spirit has been with you, but now he will be in you. Hmm. And so I I really do think this was, I was thinking about this earlier today, not thinking about this podcast. Oh, the treasure we miss because we do not think about, acknowledge, connect to the person of the Holy Spirit. He's in us to help us. He's our paraclete, our comforter. He's our helper. So, um, I noticed through the COVID season when I was having more anxiety, I'm not, I'm not typically, you know, anxiety attacks are extremely rare for me. Sure. But during COVID I was having way higher degrees of anxiety. And I noticed that when I would just stop, step outside, turn off the radio, whatever, and just say, Holy spirit, I know you're here. Now I'm here too. Hmm. I want to be with you. I want to anchor here. And I began to memorize short portions of scripture that would help me anchor so there are things that have been done for hundreds and hundreds of years called spiritual disciplines that don't make us holy but they put us in the place where we can practice the presence of god and retrain ourselves to be godly yeah Uh, paul says to timothy train yourself to be godly it's not natural train yourself to be godly Uh, uh, physical exercise has value for this life but godliness has value for all for eternity so train yourself, work at that. So I would say uh, it is spiritual discipline. An undisciplined person will not find their way to this. Yeah. But the even bigger deal is, man, he's with us. Lean into, trust the Lord with all your heart. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge God. You are here and he'll direct your path. I'm hooked on Isaiah 30, verse 5. He says, in rest, in repentance and rest is your salvation. Mm-hmm. And in quietness and trust is your strength. But but you would not have any of it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, now how did you know that? I was in the car with you when you had that aha. We were on the way back down the mountain. Ah. Yeah. So, uh, but you wouldn't have any of that. So 
this is really what we're talking about. I should have just this. said I read a lot of those. <laughs> 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 this is uh, this is really the the whole conversation we've been having. Yeah, I do works because in repentance and rest is my salvation, and quietness trust is my strength. Uh, I don't do works because I would have none of it. I'm just going to live for myself. Yeah, I think the uh, for me the vine metaphor, abiding the vine, bearing fruit, yeah. is is as it's basically holistic in my mm-hmm. opinion so mm-hmm. that in my rest is is the the patience and strength it's not vice versa where i don't um or not in my rest i excuse me i misspoke there quietness in, and trust in my power or is there my strength is there yes is that what i said i, I don't know what you said i can't remember anymore but my strength comes from there or that's where i get my strength am i don't am i expected to be strong and then like then said, god I, honors it. exactly exactly or do i honor god and then he makes me strong so then my question is, when you abide in the vine, what is that? And I think you said you said it well. It is um, um, time in the spirit, purposefully asking for, for pre- the presence in those moments and memorizing scripture, uh, uh, committing it to your, to your mind. Yeah, but we have uh, a misnomer that we've been taught forever, which is get up in the morning and give God the first part of your day, and then your whole day will go better. Mm-hmm. That's a total misnomer. No, no, no. Instead of praying... Hey, God, be with me today. Instead, maybe pray, hey, God, let me be with you today. And it's not have time with God and time in the Bible. Now go do it, and you'll be stronger. It's do it all with God. Hmm. You're never not with him. So so heighten your awareness of his abiding presence and stay in him all the time. If you pop out, which we do, okay, guy cuts me off, I scale, yell and scream, Give them the one, no, we're number one sign. Uh-huh. And then I, so, oh man, Lord, forgive me. I'm back. I'm back. I left you, but I'm back. I want to stay aware that it's a, this is the whole pray without ceasing thing. How do you pray without ceasing? I'm having an ongoing conversation with God throughout my entire day. This is abiding in the vine. I'm yeah. in you. So I think we have to get away from, you know, do these disciplines in the morning and it'll carry you all day long. Gotcha. Gotcha. Do you have a takeaway from the conversation? Well, I want to hear yours first, and then I'll tell you mine. Mine, this actually reminded me of of another thing, which this maybe could be a different conversation, but to me, this is the same kind of aha that I had, where uh, it was um, during staff chapel at the church, we watched this guy, you remember uh, the church uh, leaders conference? Or, yep. Uh-huh, and he talks about um, Jesus being the way. And mm-hmm. we talked about these kind of, these moments of understanding for passages you've heard hundreds or thousands of times mm-hmm. and you can't give these moments of understanding. So I'm going to say my, my transcendent moment <laughs> and I don't expect you to pull the car over and You're let right. your mind recover from however it was just blown. <laughs> but he talks about it. Jesus is the way. And I was thinking, and then I, it, it suddenly struck me. Jesus himself says, I am the way to the father. No one gets to the father without coming through me. And I thought, and I had never, I guess I had never really dug deeper on that. I kind of was like, yeah, of course kept going. So what I realized was when I talk about what you do in a day or what really, I I think I realized what I was always asking was, which I didn't know this, I was always asking, what is my purpose? Mm. And I would say to go forth and make disciples. I'd go to the Great Commission. Sure. Really, and there are other catechisms that say good things too, but really your purpose is to get to God. That's the whole thing. Jesus yeah. doesn't ask where you're going. He tells you where you're going. You're trying to get to God and you can only get there by this one road. And that road is a human being who lived. Yeah. And it's crazy. And so it's almost like the non-answer to the question. Mm-hmm. So you'd ask, well, how do I get to God? 
And then I would show you a picture of a human and you would go, that doesn't <laughs> help me at all. But really it does because he's the, the word made flesh. So the actual answer to your question walked around and is still walking around somewhere. And he's the way to God, which is the, the ideal destination of every human being. Right. It's this huge aha I had. I hope this helps somebody, but it's this is me. the same thing to me that this is abiding by the mind. What do I do in a day? I want to get to God and I want to, uh, honor him with fruit. How do I get there? The living person of Jesus. Mm-hmm. He is, and this is not an easy answer and I'm sorry. Cause this, it was frustrating to me as well. Right. The answer is a human being mm-hmm. or a, a once or a currently living human God being. It's mm-hmm. not as simple as that, but, but that's the answer. And so it's not that easy. You, you couldn't read that self-help book and design a day plan out of that. Maybe. Right. But that's the truth of it. And it was big for me. I, I love that, and that is the abiding. I'm with Jesus. I'm. Mm-hmm. He's with me. He's here right now. He's enjoying this conversation we're having. He's prompting our thoughts. He's quickening our mind. Mm-hmm. Um, he's incredible, and he never leaves. And I can rest in that. I can enjoy that. I can learn to foster that and participate in that. Uh, that it, is the great gift of God. And it would be, it's so much better than if there was a recipe page in the Bible that right. said, this is how you flourish. Right. Because we actually have, like I said, the word made flesh. It is not, it's a living document mm-hmm. in, in a, a flesh body. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's incredibly powerful. And what I love about it is this is, this is the gift. This is God's grace given to you. You didn't earn this. Right. So I don't do a bunch of good deeds so that Jesus will walk with me. And I can have this participating in Christ reality. I participate in Christ because his grace has lavished upon me and he has transferred me from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Now I can walk with him. Now I'm now to, to those who do believe he gave them the right to become children of God. Yeah. So we are born of him. All that is his grace. And so any works I do are just outcomes of his grace working in me. And me abiding in him rather than me measuring everything by my works. Absolutely. Your works don't mean beans. They don't mean beans. (laughs) Your work ain't beans. Yeah. That's the truth. I I love love that. That's great. Do you have a a separate takeaway from that? No, man. I'm I'm relishing in yours. That's I I just had a quasi transcendent moment with yours. So you can, it can happen. It can. <laughs> I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Hey, I hope this has been helpful to you. Thanks for listening. You can email us at info at jimandjohn.com. No H in the John. Yep, that's it. Uh, and then also on the website, there's a contact form there that you can fill out if you'd rather do that. Uh, admittedly, emailing us directly is a little easier for com- commerce, but we'll not commerce, excuse me, uh, conversing. Yes. But we'll make it work either way. So whichever's comfortable yep. on our Instagram at Jim and John. Again, no H in the John. And you can uh, direct messages there, comment on our weekly post, um, whichever way works for you. Yeah. And on that, uh, also on that page, on our link tree, you can get to our website there uh, where you'll find a blog and our podcast on the website if you, if you don't have a app on your phone or mm-hmm. however you'd like. So thanks for listening to episode 112. We love you. We'll talk to you next week.